and welcome to episode 8 of The Club. I'm your host, Sean Fairholm. It's a simple question with a complicated answer. What does it take to get better at golf? In this episode, we're going to bring on Cordy Walker of the Golf Science Lab podcast. It's a terrific listen. I, I highly recommend it. Cordy talks to some of the best players, instructors, mental gurus, all sorts of people within golf to kind of find more answers to what makes a great player versus a good player. Why can some players have a great range session, but that doesn't translate over the course? Questions like that. In one aspect of the game we talk about in this episode is how all players deal with negative thoughts, how each player processes those, because you know, we are all human, even the best golfers in the world. Everyone has negative thoughts. Everyone has to learn how to manage those. And this isn't just a discussion about the best players in the world. It's also about normal golfers who play once a month. How does someone like that get the most enjoyment and satisfaction and success out of their experience? Always remember, golf is fun. Yes, it's incredibly hard. Maybe the hardest game ever thought up, but the core of it is fun. And that is what we're going to be talking about with Cordy Walker today. Before we get to that conversation, we had a question come in from one of our listeners. Remember, you could submit questions for me to answer right here by sending us a message on Instagram or by emailing the club at graph.golf. This week's question comes from Gary, and we're talking about putting here. Gary says, I'm completely lost on the greens. I can barely hit the hole from only five feet out. Do you have anything at all that could help me here? You know, Gary, putting is such a dark art at times, but there are two things mechanically that I think a lot of people overlook when they are putting. One is that there is a, a line pretty much on every golf ball produced now, and there is usually a line or, or some sort of aiming device on, on your putter as well. Every single person should be using these. I know we don't want to slow down play, but Honestly, it takes just a few seconds to line up your golf ball, line up your putter head behind it. And the big thing here is that if you want to practice this, go putt on hardwood or tile or, or in your garage or some surface like that. Line up the ball and the putter. Make a stroke and, and see if that line is going end over end. Even if it is breaking one way or the other, that doesn't really matter. It is the line on the ball showing up with each revolution and pointing towards where the ball is going because that's when you know you have made a solid stroke and if it's not one very simple drill that you could do in your house or at the practice putting green if you have a few minutes is just take a couple of tees or really it could be anything uh, not not too valuable but uh, put them just outside both the toe and the heel of the putter to kind of form a gate and, and start with them far enough apart so that it's easy to swing the putter through that gate hit a few putts and then narrow that to the point where you have to make contact pretty much right in the sweet spot or else you're going to hit the gate itself. It's a very simple drill just to really ensure that you're, you're making solid, solid contact right, right in the, the middle of the, of the putter. I still don't see enough people doing this. It may be the simplest you know, drill that you could possibly have in putting, but I, I highly recommend it. And, and one last thought to close that out. When you make your practice strokes when you're actually playing golf or when you're practicing on the putting green, Always look at the hole or, you know, to a spot where you're trying to putt to if you, have, if you maybe have a longer putt that breaks a lot. Your brain is an incredible computer and it's, it's gathering a lot of information while you make those practice strokes. Personally, I think it's a huge help for amateur golfers to get a better grasp on speed. Just give, give it a try. Maybe it's not for you, but that's fine. I think, I think putting is 
all about feel and consistency. You know, really anybody can learn how to putt effectively if they just follow a few simple guidelines. Uh, you don't want to get too mechanical with it, but at the same time, I think you can learn a lot by using that gate drill, being able to line line the ball up. I think I think they are huge help. It's like using a tee on a, on a par three. I, I think everybody pretty much all the time should be at least using a tee on, on, on off, off the tee on a par three because why not? You, you have that advantage. Go ahead and use it. And with that, let's uh, go to our conversation with Cordy Walker of the Golf Science Lab podcast. I'll put a link to his podcast in our in, in the show notes here uh, as we learn more about what makes a great golfer's mindset. When you kind of look at what your podcast is based on, um, it's a it's a fantastic listen. You have some of the best you know top coaches, uh, some of the top players coming on and kind of sharing their advice. Um, you know, there, there are a couple of episodes that I've in particularly really liked, one of them being uh, Victor Hovland coming on and kind of sharing his prep for the U.S. Open. I thought that was really cool. One of the things that he said that I thought was great was that he, you know, works on his backswing because the downswing is more of a reaction to the to the backswing rather than kind of thinking about uh, more granularly about the about the downswing, which when I went out the next time I played after hearing that, I was like, man, that's it's that's so simple, but it's like that's very a very powerful thing uh, to like not really be thinking about exactly how you're coming into the ball, just kind of let it be a human reaction. Um, what what are some of the lessons that you kind of picked up talking to him? Yeah, I so I love hearing anecdotes from from players because um, I think sometimes we can find things that we might not hear from instructors or from research, and vice versa. So. Um, kind of some of the interesting things about that is we've talked about research and learning, which talks about attention of focus, which is where we place our attention, kind of like a swing cue almost. Um, so should I think about, you know, my back, so when I think about my back, swing, should I think about, you know, where I'm putting my wrist position or should I think more externally about um, swinging to like a visual point or avoiding something um, kind of a feedback device. And so, what we hear though from players is a lot of these elite level players have different swing cues than um, is suggested by research uh, for the rest of us. And I think there's something really interesting going on. One is these elite level players have incredible awareness of their bodies and, and ability to, to manipulate that far more than you or I do. Most likely when we have that internal cue, um, but just kind of how, you know, I, I, would love to see more research kind of along these lines of looking at elite level players and kind of swing cues and attention to focus. So like for me, I'm, I'm always trying to pick up and connect dots between research and instruction and players and try to look at some of the web of what links together, what doesn't link together and where are there open questions that, that we should explore. Um, because I think when you silo each of the pieces, we don't get an accurate picture about what, we should be doing to get better and that it's about bringing all these different aspects of on the grounds coaching and instruction you know researchers who are doing academic work should be connected to the instructors and everyone should be connected to good players as well to get feedback in that whole loop so um i i think that's some of the the stuff that i like picking up when talking to players most is trying to trying to make those connections and in terms of teachers uh you've had some fantastic guests on in the in, you know recently uh Chris Como, who of course works mm -hmm. with, with with Bryson uh, quite famously at this point, um, I, I I find him kind of a fascinating listen. No matter you know, no matter what he's talking about, he's just like a, a very fascinating dude. 
And I, I love that, you know, I, I actually taught golf for a couple of years. And, uh, you know, one of the problems that I had was, was kind of what he talked about in one of the episodes, which was I had a vision in my mind of what I wanted someone's swing to be like. And, you know, it's not always exactly what that person is, that, that student is feeling. And I, I, he, he to, uh, Chris Como told one story on your podcast about how, you know, one player was kind of in and out hitting, hitting off a toe. And that was what felt solid to that player. Um, and he, he kind of wanted to change that, you know, try to get, get, get more uh, center face contact. Um, I, I find that stuff kind of fascinating. You know, the concept of a teacher being a chameleon, having to be able to, you know, adapt to other, you know, uh, you know an, another mindset of, of a different player. I'm sure you kind of uh, are, are deep in the weeds on that as well. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's really interesting conversations like the word coach and the word golf instructor, kind of this evolution that's going on um of using the word coach more um have you heard that or has that been something that you've kind of seen happening as well yeah definitely i think kind of goes along with a lot of players saying like we rather than i it's more of like a team concept and i i I do see like the more more coach instead of instructor for sure yeah and i think it comes from coaches now looking at things more holistically right of seeing like if i want someone to shoot lower scores then we need to kind of look at the whole picture um, versus if, you know, an instructor is looking at swing technique, they're just focused on that one aspect, which might not relate to lower scores necessarily. So I think it's kind of an interesting shift that has been going on as that team approach becomes more relevant and and a focus towards performance um, is also becoming to the forefront of, you know, what are the things it's going to take um, and a lot of coaches now are realizing that we're going to look more at strategy. We're going to look at more at developing skills, you know, maybe over technique or, you know, skills like club club face awareness. Like, where am I hitting it on the, on the club face? And do I have the skill to manipulate that and understand that? Do I have the awareness of that? Um, yeah, I think I think there's it's a really cool shift, in my opinion, a good shift to coaching with this more performance um, results-based focus, I think, is super beneficial for for golfers that are you know serious about improving. Of course, we've talked a lot about analytics on on our podcast uh, because of, of of our product, and uh, yeah. Bryson has kind of been at the forefront of uh, of analytics in the game and has gotten so much talk uh, recently with you know what happened at Bay Hill, where he's trying to you know almost drive a a, a par five uh, across the water there and and different things like yeah. that, and, and looking at um, you know, for example, like the tenth hole or Riviera, where players now know that there's there's no use in laying up there. Uh, you you really should go for that green 100 percent of the time. The the analytics that are involved in the game now. Uh, I'm just kind of curious about what what your take is in terms of uh, where where that is currently in terms of uh, PGA Tour players and and how deeply they are kind of investing in. Uh, knowing you know when to go for it, when to when to lay back, uh, how how important distance has become. We're just getting the ball closer to the hole. Uh, it seems like that is almost always the play now. Uh, what, what are kind of some of your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, I've I've seen the biggest thing with stats lately is aligning expectations with realities. Um, you know, obviously going for the greens and stuff like that. They, there's a lot of talk about that, but I, I've seen a lot of folks become more relaxed and more content with understanding dispersion patterns of the realities of where you're going to hit, you know, your seven iron or your pitching wedge 
um, and that what that dispersion pattern might look like um, and that we're probably not as good as we think we are. Um, I, and I've seen a lot of those realities help a ton of people, whether from the super elite level to the, you know, just normal, your normal guy as well. Um, I think that's been huge because with data, we've seen how bad most of us actually are and how bad tour players, you know, usually are as well uh, when it comes to their dispersion patterns and whatnot. So, um, you know, I obviously things like Scott Fawcett and Decade looking at some of his, you know, work that he's done is phenomenal as far as helping people understand better targets and better strategy. Um, but I think overall, the message of understanding the realities data has helped us get in a better place unless you're uh you know you're call colin morikawa who it's a six iron about uh his dis dispersion pattern is about what a, a normal player's wedge is, is like so <laughs> but it's uh yeah yeah no i i completely understand that. that 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 makes a lot of sense when you look at some of the uh you know current players who are kind of uh among the elite of, of the game today are, are there are there any um, styles of play that you kind of find yourself uh, gravitating to, or or are there kind of any players out there do you, that you you find yourself learning from more than others? Any players find myself learning from more than others? Um, not necessarily. Um, I I just enjoy hearing stories of like my I, I love learning about player development. That's kind of my favorite thing. Like the overnight success and players that have always been good is. Um, less interesting to me rather than someone that's had a journey. Um, so I'm always really curious about, you know, the steps that someone takes to go from, you know, here to make it to that level that they're looking for. So um, honestly, I find I find most of the interesting stories there personally um, of, you know, what are the things that they've done that have made the difference? Is it swing changes? Is it moving to different locations and changing environment? Is it um, you know, life changes, like what are the actual things that help a tour player go from, you know, being on a mini tour to, to winning a PGA Tour event and whatnot. So I, I don't know exactly, but that's, uh, you know, I, I find most <laughs> entertaining kind of like <laughs> long journey stories and trying to dig into the weeds and figure out what happened um, and, and how they and how they did it. And along those lines, like I find like Lee Westwood's story really interesting. He's played so well uh, mm -hmm. of late, uh, you know, almost winning the players and at, at Bay Hill as well. And that's a guy who, you know, he reached almost the top of the world in the late 90s and then took a nosedive. And now it seems like he's got his, you know, he's got a significant other on the, on, you know, caddying for him. And he's <laughs> like, his, his life has shifted and now he's playing better. And I, I find that like the mental piece of that so fascinating because he's, he's probably not that much different of a player necessarily but he's just in a different headspace and we've seen the same thing with guys like sergio and and, and other people along the way as well yeah yeah no yeah. it's interesting how important those non-golf factors uh really are um it yeah can be, it can be huge in terms of the, the the mental game uh what are some of the uh things that you've heard a, a coach say on your podcast or you know, off the podcast, just yeah. having a conversation with somebody that where you, it's kind of been like a light bulb moment for you where you've, they've said something about the mental game and maybe it's changed how to, how you've thought about your own game or, or just the game in general. Yeah. So one, one of my favorite folks up there in the, in the mental training space is Dr. Greg Carton, who we've done a lot of stuff with. He, he works with a number of tour players and is kind of a, a fixture out there. Um, and he comes from kind of a mindfulness approach towards uh training and so like I, I think the simplest thing to say is that 
um, the thoughts that you have are normal and kind of explaining that, that a tour player literally has those same thoughts that you do. They know how to deal with and cope with them better and understand that it is normal. So, um, you know, there is nothing wrong with thinking about like, I just shanked it. I'm what if I do that again? Like those thoughts are normal. Um, and the more that we fight those and try to push those down or push them away, we're causing more tension and anxiety, which is causing stress. So I think just understanding that the thoughts that we have are normal um, and that they're having them at the highest level um, as well. When you stand on the first tee and are worried about blowing it out of bounds to the right, like the, that is a normal thought and there's nothing wrong with you. You're okay. <laughs> we all have it. We all have those thoughts. Um, and so I, I think that that's one of the most interesting. I, I really like the mindfulness kind of approach. Um towards this and and have seen greg have have great success with with players at the highest level and and players kind of developing as well so i'm, I'm a big fan of big fan of that that reminds me of uh rich beam who was tells a great story about being in the 18th fairway of the pga championship and believing like deeply in his heart that he was going to shank it uh right right prior to him winning his only major championship he like believed like that there's no other place this ball is going to go besides me shanking this yeah. and then steps up and is able to go back into in, into his process. How, how do you think a player kind of uh, moves on from whether you're a PGA Tour player or just a normal person? How do you think you kind of move on from uh, like having those uh, negative thoughts and then trying to like get back into your process and go back through uh, and, and try to, you know, flesh everything out from that point? Yeah, well, I think understanding that everyone has them and that you can get shot when thinking that. I mean, that, that's a great story right there. Um, like you have hit great shots when you have had a negative thought. Um, and you've also hit terrible shots when you've had good thoughts. So, um, you know, not putting really any weight on those thoughts to the outcome necessarily. The, the problem comes when we add stress and tension by trying to force them down. That does impact our ability to, you know, have a good result. So, yes, I, I think it's thinking back to some times when, you have hit a terrible golf shot and you've been thinking great, right? <laughs> or you've hit a good golf shot and you've been thinking terrible, right? So there's there's really no value in placing weight on those thoughts necessarily. Um, Greg says it all way better than I do. And we've done it a ton of podcasts with him. If you search Greg Carton um, in Golf Science Lab, you'll see videos and just a whole load of stuff. We did a course with him actually as well. So um, yeah, I, I love his stuff and, and think he's he's phenomenal. One of the things you said that that really resonated with me is just kind of the the line between you know mini tour player, um, you know corn fairy tour player, PGA tour Latin America, PGA tour European tour, th those dividing lines and exactly what it takes to make that next step because a lot of times it seems random, right? I know that we have the elite players, you know the, the top ten or fifteen players, the uh, Morikawa's and Spieths and guys who have come out of college, and you know immediately that they're they're probably going to make it they get their sponsors exemptions uh they rack up a lot of points really early they're on there they're, they're not going away but then the rest of it you know sometimes there are great players who just don't seem to ever kind of find the, the right luck at, at, at q school or or whatever it may be they, they just kind of they, they don't really gain any traction H have you like picked up on anything about like what the difference is between a guy who you know does get like the Michael Thompson's of the world who like they, they fight their way through and have success versus a guy who just never really gains traction. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the things is time, right. And the ability to how long can you 
keep trying almost and dedicate your life to the craft. Um, Cause you know, a lot, a lot of folks can't, the realities of life of finances and, you know, motivation and all that stuff um, kind of just shorten that time period where other folks hang in there and figure out how to make it work for long periods of time. I mean, time is a massive factor because um, you know, when you're put in that environment, of it, you can keep failing, but eventually you're hopefully going to learn how to succeed in that environment given enough time to do that. And so I, that's one of the biggest factors that I've seen is, is the folks that can survive for, for long enough. Right. Um, that's a huge determining factor in that whole journey and process to going from where you're at to where you want to go um, and just staying at that one thing. So that, that is one of the most interesting underlooked parts. I think environment is the other aspect of, uh, you know, where are you, where do you practice, who do you play with, um, and all those kind of like little things that everyone might overlook have a huge impact on the growth of an individual from a very young age and also until, you know, um, kind of the high level as well. Um, so an environment is huge about where you literally spend your time, who you're around, um, what you're with. Kind of the, I, a lot of the interviews that I have done with players around this topic, it, it comes back to that, actually, at the environment that you're in. I, I cover the U.S. Mid-Am every year, and uh, it never ceases to amaze me or, or boggles my mind, the amount of players who have attempted professional golf and who get out of it after two or three years. So it's like, as you're saying, it's it's financial. It's you know, it's the environment you're in. Uh, there have been great players. Like there was a great junior player many years ago, Philip Francis. I don't know if the, you remember that name, but you know, he won like 150 times on junior tournaments. Then tried to went to UCLA, didn't work out. Tried to tried to chase distance, and then all of a sudden it was, you know, his 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 pursuit into professional golf was over. It just it it you know, it could fall apart so quickly. I mean, I'm sure. I mean, you you must be kind of amazed at the at the depth of uh, of professional golf and the just the amount of people who are who are attempting to make it. Yeah, no, there are tons, and that is a big temptation is to um, try to lose what got you to where you are at of you know chasing distance or something like that. Um, you know, if that's not true to kind of who you are, how you think, and how you operate, you're trying to be someone else. That's where a lot of folks get in trouble, and yeah, lose that that momentum and in that journey and kind of stall out when that happens. One of the things kind of mentally that I, I wanted to wanted to ask you about, and I'm not sure, you know, what your opinions, opinion is on this, but uh, Rory had some pretty interesting comments recently about uh, chasing distance, which is kind of crazy for one of the best drivers of the golf ball in, in the world. But he was kind of talking about how Bryson and his impact, you know, winning the U S open by six shots that, that did have an impact on Rory. And he tried to change his, his swing a little bit. What, I guess, you know, what are your kind of, opinions on players who uh attempt to uh go you know they, they are influenced by external factors and then try to uh try to go about changing their swing via uh and, and rather than internal factors of this doesn't feel right to me I'm, I'm going to change this what what have you kind of picked up uh mentally that kind of maybe people try to go more on the external factor and that kind of harms them yeah, no, it's it's very interesting. Um, I, I think, you know, Bryson doing what he's done is very true to who he is. Um, you know, he's really, you know, just always trying to figure everything out and experiment and test and try things. So doing the speed and that stuff doesn't seem out of character at all. It seems very in line with, 
you know, kind of everything else from single length irons to like all the stuff that he's, he's done over the years. Right. Um, so it, to me, it doesn't feel like he's trying to necessarily do anything, you know, outside of something that an external factor was pushing him to do that. Um, you know, Rory, it's kind of interesting that, yeah, he was pushed by that to, to gain more speed. Um, you know, maybe if he timed it up when Bryson was doing it as well and had all that off season time to, to do it during the off season versus during, you know, when he was playing, um, maybe he would see different results. I don't know. There's just so many little factors, right? It's hard to, hard to guess, um, you know, what, what the biggest thing is there for him. Um, Cause yeah, Bryson did do it at such a unique time. It's never going to happen again. Um, that, that, you know, he took advantage of that and, and, I don't know if anyone else necessarily did it, it looks like. So, um, yeah, I, I think timing definitely is playing a factor as well because Rory's doing it during the season potentially. So, um, yeah, it's very, very interesting. And we see, like, you know, Tony Finau and other guys coming out with all these Instagram videos of their of their ball speed. And you you wonder, like, man, I, I don't know if that's what you that's what you need to be working on. Like, you may need to be go, going down the Dustin Johnson route of, uh, working with your wedges on TrackMan and being able to guess exactly how far you're flying wedges and and things like that. I don't know if you really need more speed. It's just it it kind of is very interesting to me. Just the dynamic that that players, uh, you know, they they see a guy have success, but as you mentioned, like he, he's been doing things differently and like kind of experimenting his whole life. Whereas some of these other guys have been maybe a lot more structured or, or traditional or or whatever it may be. So it's, I don't know. I just find the whole thing fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. for sure. Uh, have there been any other kind of lessons in terms of, uh, of the, of the golf swing? Um, I, I know it's, you know, it's cliche to, for like tips and advice and, and, and things like that, but have there, have there been, um, you know, any like full swing thoughts that you've kind of heard from a coach or from a player or, or anything like that, that you've kind of taken with you from, from your podcast or that you, you found really interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I see everything moving more athletic. Um, like coaches are trying to get players more athletic um, using more of kind of what they have and, and working from the ground up. So probably over the last five years, there's a, been a big shift in towards using kind of pressure mats and force plates to look at how we're using the ground in the golf swing. And that has brought to brought out some like really changes that are effective and easy, not easy, I should say, but like simple maybe to explain like simple illustrations, simple things that we all can grasp. And so kind of a shift towards how we look at the ground, getting athletic, um, because a lot of that athleticism was almost taken out of us when we started golf because we were trying to everyone was trying to get us all rigid and like perfect and, and whatnot, I feel like maybe so. Uh, a shift towards that and yeah the ground um, it's just when you look or looking at pressure data and you're learning how to use the ground you can really gain speed quickly and you can gain um, a, a lot of that athleticism back when you start using the ground well so that that's been a, a trend probably over the last I don't know five five years more and more common more and more folks having you know a pressure mat um, when they're on the range working so um, definitely something there in in terms of players like like we hear the term using the ground with with their swing kind of especially for right-handed players with that that left leg uh, especially on on longer shots kind of uh kind of uh pushing up uh you know kind of being, being able to u utilize that force do you think that's becoming uh more common or do you think that that kind of terminology has 
has not been as common recently? Um, I, I think it depends. I think we're looking at making better pressure shifts um, and looking at pressure traces to make sure it matches the person. Um, so kind of what um, there's a big movement towards making sure that what the player is doing is right for their body and for them. Um, instead of grouping us all in one way of how we should be using the ground, we're trying to pull it out into different groups. So Mike Adams, um, a phenomenal instructor, I think he's like uh, number one or two on most lists, um, has kind of pushed this movement forward of helping uh, figure out what a player, how they should be using the ground for their body and for their swing, and then helping them optimize that. And so that, I think that's another trend as well, is making sure that what we're doing is good for the player and not just an overgeneralized um, prescription for everyone. So those combining those two things of, yeah, we're looking at the ground a lot, yes, and then also kind of looking at what type of player is this, what is their body like, what is their swing like, and making sure those two things match um, has been very important in gaining, um, gaining kind of importance in the golf instructor world as well that could only be good in my opinion mm -hmm. because I, I feel like in the past it was everybody kind of wanted one golf swing and that's just not how the human body works right like we all have different strengths and weaknesses and some people have longer arms some people you know it's just everything is not everything is equal so i, I think it it only makes a uh, sense for for the golf golf instruction world to uh, to go from from here from that point so uh, well, uh, Cordy, uh, thank you so much for uh, for coming onto the co coming onto the podcast. Uh, really, really appreciate your time. Some some fascinating stuff. Uh, hopefully, we can uh, get you back on again sometime. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. And thank you again to Cordy Walker for coming onto the show. It's always interesting to hear someone else's perspective on what makes a great golfer, both mentally and physically, because that line is incredibly thin. Cordy has a fantastic perspective after talking to so many great golfers and, and coaches over the years. That is uh, all the time that we have today. If you could please rate the podcast and subscribe, tell your friends about it. And don't forget, if you have any topics you would like us to discuss or any questions to ask about your game or about draft golf, please send us a message on Instagram or send an email to the club at draft.golf. We'll see you again next time.